Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter number 37. Genesis chapter number 37, if you're just joining us, you weren't here last week, we went over a survey last week of uh, the series that we're going to be in, in the book of Genesis, looking at the life of Joseph and the things that he has to offer us, things that we can learn from. We learned last week uh, that Joseph suffered some difficult circumstances, didn't he? But he always rose to the occasion. And so we're actually going to get into really our first lesson into the book of Genesis, uh, looking at the life of Joseph. And our first in-depth look last week, again, was more of an overview. And so I'm excited. Do you want the good news tonight or do you want the best news tonight? Let's give you the good news. The good news is tonight's message is an encouraging message. Tonight's message is an encouraging message. Me and Brother Lance have been talking about that. And I feel like sometimes we come to church and we just get beat over the head. And I believe that we ought to get beat over the head every now and then. But I'm excited whenever somebody preaches something that's an encouragement to me. So tonight's message is an encouraging message. The better news is it's going to be short. It's going to be short tonight. We're going to be short. Uh, I kind of wrestled a little bit with the Lord. Uh, I'm carnal like that. I believe it or not. I'm human just like everybody else. And I was not sure what to preach tonight. There were two messages I was praying about preaching. Uh, one would be more of a uh, background study of the book of Jacob, or excuse me, the character of Jacob. To know about Joseph, we need to know about this man, Jacob. Um, but we're not going to do that tonight. We'll do that next week. So we'll get one step forward, two steps back next week. If you're going to miss a week, don't miss next week. If you're going to miss a week, I'd recommend missing this week. If you're going to miss a lesson, miss tonight, don't miss next week, because we're going to get some background uh, information about Jacob and why Joseph is who Joseph is. We need to understand why Jacob was who Jacob was. And so uh, I'm excited that you're here tonight, though. Please don't leave. I, I was joking. Please don't leave. Uh, Genesis chapter number 37, if you'll turn there. Look with me at verse number 1. It says, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan, these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And he, uh, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told, his dream, uh, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose." And also stood upright, and behold, your sheaves stood around, around about and made a uh, absence to my sheaf. And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream, and told it his brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made absence to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him. And said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, ourselves to thee on the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the same. Tonight we're going to get our first taste of Joseph. And as I already mentioned, Joseph was a man that was faced with some very difficult circumstances. 
But we're going to learn tonight how he rose above those circumstances to prominence. We all face difficult circumstances, don't we? But we're going to learn tonight in the life of Joseph how Joseph faced those difficult circumstances and the decisions he made that led him to rise above those circumstances. Let's pray tonight. I know we've already prayed, but let's just pray for just a moment. Heavenly Father, I pray again that you'd be with me tonight. As I've already prayed today, Lord, I pray that you'd be with me, speak to me, speak through me. I pray that I'd speak slowly, that people could hear me. I pray that you'd help me to exploit the truth that you've given to me in this series already, Lord. You've shown me that I need to do some serious self-evaluation. As I compare my life to Joseph, Lord, every time I face a difficult circumstance, though there are not many, comparatively speaking to Joseph, I feel like I complain and I murmur. But Lord, you've taught me something is that when I face difficult circumstances, it is your will, it is your providential hand, your sovereign hand that is moving in my life. And I need to get with the program rather than fighting against you. Lord, I pray for the people of Wooden Valley Baptist Church. As I preach tonight, I pray that you'd speak to them. I pray that you'd bring them to a moment as you did with me, not just to acknowledge the truth, but to act upon the truth. I pray that they would act upon the truth tonight. And the truth is simply this, in knowing that we face difficult circumstances in life, we know you are in control. I pray that you'd be with us tonight. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for reading with me. We live in a no-fault society. We live in a no-fault society. And if you work in the insurance industry, does anybody just curious work in the insurance industry? I don't think, I don't know of anybody, but no doubt you've come into contact with somebody that's worked in the insurance industry, or maybe you've been in a car accident, or had a physical ailment, and had to deal with people that work in insurance. And so, if you're not familiar with what no-fault society means, then find someone who works in insurance, and they'll be able to tell you exactly what a no-fault society, uh, no-fault situation is. Basically, it is simply this, it is not shifting the blame, or excuse me, sharing the blame, but rather it is shifting the blame. We live in a society that does not want to take ownership with anything. Would you agree with that? We live in a society that everything is someone else's fault. Nothing is ever our fault. Am I alone tonight? Do you agree with that? We live in a society that does not take responsibility for anything that they've been given. It doesn't matter the situation. It doesn't matter the trial. Not my fault. Someone else's fault. For instance, a young college student can blame their consuming debt on uh, student loans. Know someone like that, graduated college, and now they go into their adult lives and say, I'm in debt and I blame student loans. I blame the government for giving me the opportunity to go to school and paying for my school, and now they want that money back and it's their fault, not mine. A man can barely make ends meet and blame his lack of income on the minimum wage gap. That's where we're at in Seattle right now. Everything is the society's fault, the minimum wage gap's fault. I'm flipping burgers at McDonald's and I'm not making enough to provide for my family. It's, It's the government's fault. It's the minimum wage gap's fault, not my fault, and the fact that I can't get a job that pays good. (laughs) Thanks, Daniel. I appreciate it. A morbidly obese person can blame McDonald's for being fat. It happened. It happened. A, A lady actually tried to sue McDonald's because she was morbidly obese. That's the society that we live in. They don't want to take responsibility for anything, any situation, any position, any circumstances that they're in. Everything is someone else's fault. But not so with the life of Joseph. Not so with the life of Joseph. Joseph was a man who chose not to let the circumstances of life limit his potential for success. Joseph was a man who made a decision at the age of 17 that he was going to rise above the circumstances no matter how difficult, hopeless, or unfair they may have seemed. He chose to see the sovereign hand of God moving in every aspect of life. That's where we find Joseph. Who's heard of the popular Christian counselor, and I use that term very lightly, J. Adams? J. Adams. Anybody? 
Okay, so Jay Adams is a popular, you learned last week that I don't like to read, okay? So you know that I haven't been reading after Jay Adams, but uh, I do know a little bit about Jay Adams. There was some required reading that we had to do when we were at Heartland, and I want to be careful because I don't want to condone anything that he said. Uh, the best counsel that you can get is from this church and from your pastor. I'm just going to give that little plug in. If you're, if you're going through difficult circumstances, you need counsel, don't look beyond the four walls of this church. This is free, but don't look beyond the four walls of this church before you go to your pastor, go to your uh, go to the deacons. Uh, someone agree with me there. Uh, you can get to a lot of trouble by following after the internet and following after these different counselors. Uh, just trust your pastor, trust the man of God, and trust the system that God has placed you in. So again, that's free, but I want to be careful of who I condone and, and the readings that I condone. But Jay Adams has some good stuff that he's put out, and so uh, I read this book in college, and I remembered this quote, and I had to go through and sift through one of the books uh, that I, I had when I was in college, and I came across this story that Jay Adams wrote. It's more of a poem. I went to my psychiatrist to be psychoanalyzed, to find out why I kicked the cat and blacked my husband's eyes. He laid me on a downy couch to see what he could find, and here is what he deranged up from my subconscious mind. When I was one, my mommy hid my dolly in the trunk, so, and so it follows naturally that I am always drunk. When I was two, I saw my father kiss the maid one day, and that is why I suffer now from kleptomania. At three, I had a feeling of violence towards my brothers, and so it follows naturally, I poison all my lovers. But I am happy now, I've learned this lesson it has taught, that everything I do that's wrong is someone else's fault. Welcome to 2018. <laughs> everything we do is someone else's fault. I feel like everything that we look at, social media, we're talking about social media, good, Pastor, I'm glad you don't have social media because you don't have to worry about the drama that goes on. Everything that we look at in social media, everything that we look at in the newspaper, daily conversations that we have with the world, it's always full of the woe is me's and no one is ever taking responsibility for where they're at in life. I feel like every time we get on Facebook, every time I get on Instagram or Twitter and I look, it's someone complaining about someone, their situation in life, and it's never, this is the situation and the position I put myself in. It's always, it's someone else's fault, right? This is absolutely contrary to anything that's taught in the Word of God. Absolutely contrary to what we would find in the life of Joseph. The word circumstance, simply put, means a situation you find yourself in that would be beyond your control. You did not choose certain things in your life, yet nonetheless, here you are. And although you cannot always control what circumstance you're in, you can control what you do with the circumstance you find yourself in. Joseph was a life that was ridden with circumstances and difficult situations. I'd like us to take just a few moments tonight to learn how we can rise above the circumstances of life like Joseph did. Very practical tonight. In light of our text, first I want you to see Joseph and dilemmas. Joseph and dilemmas. Sometimes we get this romantic view of the Bible and we kind of view it from the lens of perfection as if the Bible characters that we see, uh, they were always above re reproach. And that's a, very, that's a very dangerous approach to take when you read the Word of God because the Word of God is full of people like you and me, face same situations like we did, process things the same way that we did. And aren't you glad, and this might sound like a fatalist, but aren't you glad that they failed sometimes so at least you knew you weren't in this race alone? I, I'm so thankful that God does not just provide us with a bunch of stories in the Bible of popular, or uh, excuse me, positive situations where people always responded how they were supposed to respond. I'm thankful that God highlights the mistakes of David. I'm thankful that God highlights the state, mistakes of Jacob, like we'll learn next week. I'm thankful that God highlights some of these mistakes so I can look at the Word of God and say, I can relate. I'm not in this alone. So Joseph had his fair share of dilemmas. 
And although he was living in the line of blessing, again, he's a descendant of Abraham, and eventually we're going to come to the end of the life of Joseph and find that he's what? Second in command. But you've got to understand that Joseph did not get to where he was without facing some serious difficult circumstances and dilemmas. He didn't get to where he was without encountering major setbacks. Let's look at some of those tonight. First, we see the dilemma of deception. The dilemma of deception. Um, if you'll study the life of Joseph and you paid a visit to his family tree, you'd find out real quick that Joseph is from a long, long, long line of liars. Long line of liars. First, we have Rachel. In Genesis chapter number 31, you don't have to turn there, but Genesis chapter number 31 and verse number 19, it says, And Laban went to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the images that were her father's, and Jacob stole away unaware to Laban the Syrian, and that he had told him not that he fled. So he fled without all he had, and he rose up and passed over the river and set his face toward the Mount Gilead. Rachel was a dog-faced liar. <laughs> then we come to Jacob, his father. I don't have to go into much detail about Jacob, do I? Jacob, his name means deceiver. His name means heel grabber, someone who comes from behind for an advantage. Jacob's very name means liar, but just to touch a, a couple of the lies that, uh, that Jacob told, lied to his brother. Lied to his brother, deceived his brother, tricked his brother into giving him his birthright in exchange for the pottage. And then you come to the end of poor, feeble, old Isaac's life. He's blind, can't even see. And what does J J uh, Jacob do? Comes in and puts the, the, uh, the, uh, the fur of, a, of an animal and comes in and deceives his father into giving him the blessing that, the, that was actually supposed to go to Esau and deceives him into giving him that blessing because he was blind. What a, what, a, what a yellow belly. What a liar. What a deceiver. J Jacob was a liar. Rachel was a liar. Laban was a liar. His grandfather, Laban, was a liar. Uh, we know the story, but uh, you know that uh, Jacob comes to Laban and says, I dig that chick. I'd like to work for her if you don't mind. So they come to a conclusion. They come to an agreement and says, you can work seven years for my daughter Rachel's hand. And the Bible says that Rachel, 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 Bible says that Rachel was fair. She was easy to look upon. She was nice on the eyes. <laughs> Not so much with Leah, right? And so Jacob works seven years for Rachel, and on the wedding night of Rachel and Jacob, the next morning, Jacob realizes that uh, he's actually with the tender-eyed Leah. That's what the Bible says, tender-eyed. You can define what you think that means, and that's fine with me, but I think tender-eyed means she was ugly. Probably looked like Rosa Parks. I don't know, but she was ugly. <laughs> Laban's a liar. And that's exactly where Joseph came from. I want you to think about that. That's where Joseph came from, a long line of yellow-bellied, dirty, rotten, stinking liars, smoke blowers. That's where Jacob came from, or excuse me, Joseph came from. If Joseph grew up today in 2018, no doubt we would quickly come to the conclusion that we can excuse every wrong decision that Joseph's ever made and give him a pass because he must be a product of his environment. You ever heard that before? They must be a product of their environment. They have been dealt a bad hand. They're from the other side of the track, so therefore you can't really hold them up to standard because they're a product of their environment. Not so with Jake, or Joseph. He came from the most dysfunctional, lying, dishonest family, yet Joseph decided that he was going to follow God and break the chain with Joseph. Joseph chose not to let the dilemma of deception hinder him from following God's plan. The second dilemma that he faced, you've got the, the, the dilemma of deception. Number two, the dilemma of despising. There you go, Miss Connie. Alliterated. Told you. Miss, Miss Connie hates alliterating. Everything starts with the letter D tonight, so it'll be easy to take notes. The dilemma of despising. In our text, uh, it doesn't take us long to figure out. 
in the story of Joseph that his number one fan base was not his family. His number one fan base, rather, I should be more specific, was not his brothers. His 11 brothers were not Joseph's number one fan. They weren't holding up that green finger uh, foam thumb saying, we love Joseph. Actually, quite the opposite. They hated Joseph. They despised Joseph. Within the first 11 verses, it says they hated him, they hated him the more, and they hated him yet the more. They were not Joseph's number one fan. They couldn't stand him. Why could they not stand him? Well, we find out from the very first couple of verses that Joseph had favor with his father Jacob, And how would that make you feel if you're a sibling and you're okay with your mom and dad having favoritism towards one of your siblings? Raise your hand. You're okay with that. Okay. I would not be okay with that. And the reason I've never had to encounter that is because I'm the youngest. I'm the youngest of four and I'm the only boy. So I was the favorite. I was Joseph. So I know exactly what they're talking about, exactly what, or excuse me, what Joseph is going through, but his brothers could not stand him. They couldn't speak peaceably about him. They hated him. Hate is a strong word. And I think they use that word intentionally. They couldn't stand Joseph despised him. So the dilemma of deception, the dilemma of despising, number three, he faced the dilemma of death. The dilemma of death. We're not going to read, but in uh, Genesis chapter number 35, if you start at the beginning and get to the end, three people pass off the scene that were very close to Joseph. First you have Deborah. Deborah was his nurse or his keeper, and uh, maybe a little bit more like a grandma figure in the life of Joseph. Nonetheless, she, he was very fond of Deborah. She took care of him, spent time with him, and she passes off the scene in Genesis chapter number 35. And you keep reading, and then Isaac, Isaac, J- uh, Joseph's grandfather, passes off the scene. And then right after that, probably the most influential person in Joseph's life would be his mother, Rachel. And at the age of 16... Rachel passes off the scene in Genesis chapter 35, giving birth to Benjamin, his younger brother. So he had to experience the loss of those three people that were very close to him at the age of 16 years old. Who is 16 and under? 16 and under. At 16 years of age, Joseph saw three people that were absolutely influential in his life pass off the scene. Say, okay, Lamar, what's the point? What's the point? What difference does it make who passes off the scene or where he came from or the fact that his brothers despised him? The point is simply this. Just because you are devoted to the plan of God does not mean that you will not face difficult circumstances and trials. Just because you follow the straight and narrow and you follow the Lord and you read your Bible, pray every day and seek the Lord daily does not mean that we are guaranteed a life of smooth sailing. We find that out in the life of Joseph. In the midst of dilemma after dilemma, facing the deception, the despising, and even the death of those whom Joseph loved, there we find him rising above the circumstances. Joseph and dilemmas, number two. Joseph and direction. Joseph and direction. We see in the life of Joseph that he refused to be a product of his environment. He refused to be a product of his environment. Let's talk just for a minute about his environment. Let's talk about his childhood for a second. Uh, Joseph's brothers, and we're going to find this out next week, they were absolutely evil to the core, particularly the sons of Zilpah and the sons of Bilhah. And right there at the beginning of our text, Joseph uh, knows about this evil endeavor that's going to take place that is absolutely going to destroy the reputation of his family, destroy the reputation of Joseph and his father, the house of Jacob. And so what does he do? He goes and he tells his father of their evil endeavor, tells him of their evil acts. You say, that's a tattletale. When you have information that will lead to the destruction of someone else and you don't tell somebody that's able to do something about it, you're part of the problem. Teenagers, listen up. If you know about something that's going on in the life of your brother, your sister, or someone else in the youth department, and you think it's of your best interest, you don't want to be a tattletale, I don't want to share that with anybody, you are now part of the problem. Joseph understood that. I don't think he was a tattletale at all. I think he was looking out for his brothers that hated him. 
So his brothers were messed up, and Shechem was messed up. Where Joseph lived was messed up. His hometown was messed up. We're going to learn, in, uh, not next week, but in two weeks, about the land of Shechem. A little bit next week, we'll talk about it. But know this, they had no business being in Shechem in the first place. They were supposed to be in Sur, but rather than going to Sur, what he did was he went over to Shechem. I'm talking of Jacob. And, and, and Shechem was an absolutely wicked city. Every time it's referenced in the Bible, you find wicked acts happening in Shechem. I don't want to go too long, but uh, Jacob, or excuse me, Joseph had a sister named Dinah. Had a sister named Dinah in Genesis chapter number 34, verse 1. I'll read quickly. And Dinah, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of uh, Hamor, uh, Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, what did he do? He took her and lay with her and defiled her. This is not the first, the, the Potiphar's wife situation was not the first time that, uh, that Joseph encountered sexual injustice. It actually happened in Genesis chapter number 34 when the son of the king of Shechem raped his sister. That's where he came from. You say, okay, what's the difference? What difference does it make about his upbringing? What difference does it make about who he grew up with? I bring attention to the environment of Joseph to point out that this was not the environment that you'd expect from, for someone like Joseph to come out of. We're going to find out in a couple of weeks, and I hope that you already know the story of Joseph. Again, I hope you've done your own study, but it doesn't take long for us to find out that Joseph eventually rises to prominence and finds himself as second in command. You would not expect for somebody that is the second in command in all, in all of Egypt and has been used so incredibly by God to come from the situation that Joseph came from. You would expect for someone like that to come out of a positive situation. You'd expect for someone like that to come out of a Christian home or maybe somebody to come out of a good home or a, a Baptist home or you'd expect for somebody to come out of that situation from a good town but not someone out of Shechem who had 11 brothers who were wicked to the core. Joseph had to make a conscious decision, a daily decision that he was not going to be a product of his environment. Listen to this, Joseph knew that the, direct, the direction you take in life determines your destination. And so therefore he set his things, he set his sights, he set his priorities and his direction for the things of God rather than himself. Did you hear me? The direction you're headed in life determines your destination. The direction you're headed in life is going to go one of two ways. You're going to follow after your own lust, follow after your own flesh, or you're going to follow after the things of God. And Joseph understood that. Joseph knew that the direction you're headed determines your destination. We see the dilemmas of Joseph that he faced. We see the direction that he set. Number three, Joseph and destiny. Joseph and destiny. Look at verse number five again. It says, and Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it, uh, he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves. In the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaf stood around about, and made absence to my sheaf. And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more, for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream, and told it his brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made absence to me. And he told it uh, to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee on the earth? And his brethren envied, envied him and his father observed the same. So Joseph is given the first two of his five dreams in Genesis chapter number 35. 
or excuse me, Genesis chapter number 37. And these dreams set forth the destiny that God had for Joseph. God revealed himself to Joseph in those dreams and told him exactly what he wanted him to accomplish, exactly what he wanted him to do. We're not talking about a Disney movie where they go and they leave the umbrella of authority and leave the umbrella of structure and go and find themselves because they had a dream. I'm talking about an actual revelation from God. God revealed himself to Joseph and says, Joseph, I have set you apart for something that's bigger than yourself. I've set you out for a divine purpose. And he revealed himself in that dream and told Joseph exactly what he wanted him to do. Joseph took this revelation from God and made it his life's ambition to accomplish the plan that he had set before him, no matter the cost. And like Joseph, did you know that God has set apart us for a divine purpose? God has an agenda and a plan for every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room that has professed the name of Christ. He has set us apart for something that's bigger than ourselves. But if we aren't careful... We can allow the situations we are in to determine the direction we are headed and corrupting the destiny that God has set before us. We can become victims of our circumstances rather than victims or victors over our circumstances. We begin to blame our position in life on our circumstances. We begin to blame all the difficult situations in our life on our circumstances. And we, get, we begin to negate the plan of God and say, oh, well, I haven't been dealt a good hand. I'm not from a Christian home, so therefore I can't accomplish great things for God. We begin to say things like, if I had a little bit more money, I could really, really do some great things for God. I could give, but we begin to make excuses. Or we begin to excuse the things that God has placed in our life for a divine purpose. Not to deter us from the, the, the working of God, but to draw us closer to him. Joseph understood that God gave him the family he gave him for a reason. God gave Joseph the upbringing for a reason. God gave Joseph the difficult circumstances for a reason. And in the midst of the seemingly impossible circumstances, Joseph never lost sight of the destiny that God had set before him. Joseph rose above the circumstances. To rise to the circumstances of life, above the circumstances of life, Joseph had to understand that every circumstance was divinely orchestrated by God. Let me ask you tonight, are your circumstances in life deterring you from following God's hand or are they drawing you closer to God? We read this last week, Romans chapter number 28, verse 8. We read it, or excuse me, Romans chapter 8, verse number 28. We read it. It's probably in someone's Bible right now on a, on a little uh, precious moments uh, Bible keeper or something like that, or maybe it's on a frame. But we, we, we know the verse backwards and forwards, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. And we read a verse like that and we come to the conclusion that that's such an amazing verse, such a powerful verse, but what does it mean for me? How can I possibly know what God's plan is for my life? Read verse 29. It says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, look, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the first, for, uh, firstborn among many brethren. God is conforming us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ, in and through the difficult circumstances of life. So as you progress through your Christian walk with every divinely orchestrated situation and circumstance that God puts you through, do not question the sovereign hand of God moving. Rest in it. God has a purpose and God has a plan for everybody in this room and Satan would love nothing more than you to get in the way. We see the dilemmas Joseph faced. We see the direction that Joseph set. We see the destiny that Joseph had and lastly tonight, Joseph and decisions. Joseph and decisions. 
As we read through the life of Joseph, we ultimately see that Joseph was a product of his decisions, not a product of his environment. All throughout the life of Joseph, major decisions are being made. And this idea of God being sovereign can be a very misleading uh, idea if we're not careful. I'm not saying that God is misleading, but our understanding of God's sovereignty can be very misleading. I said it in week number one. I said it in that little video that I put out. But God's sovereignty, simply put, is not his control of us, but control of our life and everything that happens in life. His foreknowledge and control of everything that happens in life. But it goes hand in hand with the decision making of man. We have a volition. We have to make decisions. Do you understand what I'm saying? God is in control of our life, but he's not working us around like robots, making us make every decision. The reason that's a dangerous perspective to have is because we can begin, and people do this in churches all the time, we can begin to look at the situations of life and say, it doesn't matter how I respond, it doesn't matter that I pray about a situation, it doesn't matter that I witness to my friend, because God's already predestined and determined exactly what I'm going to do with my situations. Therefore, I can live how I want, do what I want, and say what I want, and God already knows it's going to take place. Not only is that an abuse on the sovereignty of God, that's an abuse on the grace of God. That is not how God works. God does not, he's not sitting there in heaven with a remote control saying that I want every little decision that they're gonna be made to be predetermined by me and so I'm gonna press A, I'm gonna press B, I'm gonna turn them left, I'm gonna turn right. No, God sets the playing field, we decide what moves to take. We have a volition, we have, a, a, the, a, 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 we have the, the ability to make decisions in life. And understand this about the life of Joseph. Although Joseph rise to prominence, and I don't want to belittle the working of God because it was all God working through Joseph, Joseph had to make decisions. Those were not God's decisions. God was not controlling Joseph and making him make those, those positive decisions, which by the way, we learned last week, Joseph is one of the only Bible characters in the Bible that has a significant portion of scripture written about him, and nothing negative is ever said about him. I need to be careful because it doesn't mean that Joseph was perfect, but God didn't feel the necessity to let us in on some of the mistakes that he made, and I think he did that for this reason, to show us that Joseph followed the sovereign hand of God and made conscientious decisions to get in line with his will. Again, there are many decisions that Joseph had to make, but I think it boiled down to one decision, one major decision in Joseph's life that reoccurred every single day, but it was one decision, and here it is. Am I going to allow the circumstances of life to define me, or am I going to allow the sovereign hand of God to direct me? Through every circumstance we face in life, we must face the exact same decision. God sends a family crisis. Am I going to allow the circumstances of life to define me? Or am I going to allow the sovereign hand of God to direct me? God brings a financial situation. Am I going to allow the situations and circumstances of life to define me? Or am I going to allow the sovereign hand of God to direct me? God brings cancer. God brings sickness. God brings situations that are beyond our control. Am I going to allow the, the situations and circumstances of life to define who I am? Or am I going to lean on the everlasting arms? Am I going to lean on the sovereign hand of God who has the roadmap, by the way, and knows how it, uh, how it goes in the end, knows about our situations? Am I going to uh, allow the sovereign hand of God to direct me? With every difficult circumstance and trial, we can choose to be a victim or choose to be a victor. So what compass did Joseph follow? 
What compass did Joseph follow? What process did we see Joseph go through in those decision-making processes that rose him to prominence and, and provided us with an illustration of a man who rose above difficult circumstances? Two things, and I'll be done tonight really quickly. Two things. He responded humbly. He responded humbly. I think we'd all agree that the number one dominating characteristic in the life of Joseph is humility. All throughout Joseph's decision-making, you find one common attitude, and it was a shining moment in, in Joseph's situation. Humility. Humility. In the midst of the trial and difficulties, you don't find Joseph saying, I've had enough. I'm done. I'm going to look out for number one. I've been burned one too many times. Now I'm looking for me, my, mo." You never find Joseph saying, God, I really don't deserve this situation that you put me through. You put me through this difficult situation, you put me through this, this difficult situation, and I followed you, now you give me another situation that I have to go through. God, I don't deserve this. You never, ever, ever find Joseph responding that way. Speckled throughout the life of Joseph are responses of humility, and none probably more, more prominent than when he had the opportunity to put the very brothers that started this whole domino effect of difficult uh, circumstances and trials in Joseph's life. He had the opportunity not to just get even, but get over even. He was the second in command in all of Egypt and had opportunity to do whatever he pleased to his brothers. What was his response? It's the overriding theme in the life of Joseph. Every time we think of the life of Joseph, we think of this statement. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Humility. Humility. Joseph responded humbly. Number two. Joseph responded honestly. Honestly with himself. Honestly with the situations. Prior events that happen in our lives can make the right choice more challenging. But with God's help, we can choose to respond as Joseph did. When we choose to allow our environment, our past, and our circumstances to disable us, we are actually resisting the sovereign grace that God has offered us to help us in times of need. And the hang-up that we face when we go through these circumstances isn't that we doubt God's ability to bring us through it, but go back a little bit further, we doubt God's wisdom in putting us through it. We have such a high opinion of ourselves, and we look at every difficult situation that we face in life, and we look at God and shake our fist into the very maker and say, I don't deserve this. Again, I said at the very beginning of this series that I have not been through very difficult circumstances and trials and even I have come to the conclusion at times to my shame where I've looked at the face of God and said, I don't deserve this kind of trial. Do you know who I am? That's a humbling experience because he knows exactly who I am. And we can look at the face of God and do the exact same thing with every difficult trial and circumstance that he brings us through. We respond and look at the, the face of our creator and say, I don't deserve the difficulty. We never really doubt God's ability to bring us through it. We doubt his wisdom in putting us through it. You never hear that in the life of Joseph. Joseph had a realistic view of himself. Joseph knew who Joseph was. And Joseph knew that every trial and circumstance and difficult situation he was put through, he did not view it as, I don't deserve it. He viewed it as, I don't even deserve this. Did you catch the difference? He did not look at the difficult situations of life and think, I don't deserve this difficult circumstance. No, he looked at it and said, I really don't deserve any goodness that's been given to me. Humility and responded honestly. I'll close by saying this, and we led with it. We live in a no-fault society. We live in a society that does not want to take responsibility for where they're at in life. We live in a society that wants to blame everything on everybody else, including God. 
We can begin to blame our situations on everyone else and everything else when all the while it was God that allowed those things to come about. Why? Because he has something in mind that is bigger than us. He has an end goal in mind. He's mapped it out and he's brought those situations and difficult circumstances in our life not to deter us, not to be mean, mean to us, but he wants us to get it. He wants us to end up here. So he brings us through those difficult trials and circumstances. If we are going to rise above the circumstances in life, it is going to require us to opt into the plan of God and allow his hand to direct us rather than letting the circumstances of life define us. Every situation that we face, as Joseph faced, we have to come to that same conclusion, that same decision. Am I going to allow the situations of life to define who I am or am I going to trust the creator and the sovereign hand of God and allow him to direct us? decision that we all have to make. And I'd have you believe that there's the difference. There's the Joseph difference and the Jacob difference. We'll learn that next week. But the Jacob difference is he allowed the situations of life to define who he was, whereas Joseph allowed the sovereign hand of God to direct him, even amid the difficult circumstances that Joseph faced. So we have to come to that same conclusion. Are we going to allow the situations of life and the circumstances of life to define us, or are we going to allow the sovereign hand of God to direct us. Let's all stand and we will go into a time briefly of prayer and then we'll dismiss into our time of uh, praying over the needs that were mentioned. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and for your many blessings, allowing us just for a moment to look into the life of Joseph and scratch the surface on some of the things you did through his life. All speckled throughout his life are difficulties and trials, hills and battles he had to overcome. And humanly speaking, Joseph was dealt a bad hand. But your hand was moving in his life because you had a purpose that was bigger than Joseph. And we never see him curse you. We always see him comply with your will. And I pray that we take that application and apply it to our lives. Difficult circumstances are written throughout. We heard about them tonight in the form of prayer requests. Lord, there are some people facing battles of difficult circumstances like cancer. Difficult circumstances like family situations, prodigals. Lord, I'm thinking of just many people in this church who are hurting but you are sovereign and you are in control. I pray that we would not curse you, but we would comply with your will and allow those situations to draw us closer to you. We love you for all you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. If God leads